Are you a warrior in the war on coal? Well, which side are you on? Is it really a war? We'll talk about the war on coal right now on The Law Works. From West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Closed captioning for The Law Works is made possible by a grant from the Monongalia County Bar Association to support legal information and education for all West Virginians. The Law Works is made possible by major grants from the West Virginia Attorney General and from Software Systems Incorporated, a West Virginia company established in 1975 which provides high-end support services, programming, and consulting for county government AS400 mid-range computer systems as well as PC-based systems, and by a grant from the West Virginia Bar Foundation. The West Virginia Bar Foundation, the philanthropic organization for West Virginia's legal profession and justice system, promoting public knowledge of the law in West Virginia. The continuing production and use of coal is a growing concern, a concern to those who own and produce it, to those who depend on it for a living, to those who use it for light and heat, and to those whose health is affected by it. My guest is Patrick C. McGinley, the West Virginia University College of Law Judge Charles Hayden II, Professor of Law. Pat, you're back. Thank you. Thank you to, for having me. We want to talk about the war on coal. and. Honestly, I'm not sure I know what it is. Can you explain it a little bit? Well, I'll do my best. Uh, the war on coal uh, is really a misnomer. Uh, if you want to use the word war, uh, you might say there's a war about coal. Uh, it's a war uh, of public relations. Uh, it, it's motivated by politics and the quest for power in Washington. Uh, the, those who uh, promote the, the concept of a war on coal attack the, uh, those in, in Washington and, and elsewhere uh, who support mine safety regulation, black lung regulation, uh, air and water pollution regulation. Um, and some of their criticism has merit and uh, some of it uh, is uh, self-interested and has nothing to do with the protection of coal field communities or uh, the economies of central Appalachia where so much of the nation's coal is mined. If you're going to have a war, you have to have at least two sides. And it does seem as though both sides in this particular dispute are having at each other. Uh, as I read material in or about the war on coal, it seems that, frankly, both sides are giving as good as they're getting. Well, it's certainly there's a, a, a strident, uh, often venomous uh, flavor to the discourse, uh, public discourse, uh, about the place of coal in our uh, economy and the, the future of uh, coal field communities. Uh, there, there's no doubt about that. And uh, what's missing is, uh, uh, serious uh, consideration, discussion of 
uh, how we're going to go forward uh, recognizing that uh, the, the, the economically mineable coal in central Appalachia and, and West Virginia has diminished greatly. We've, uh, we've mined uh, 13 billion tons of coal from West Virginia since the beginning of the, of the 20th century. And the coal that's easy to get is gone. Uh, the uh, production uh, of coal in the last 20 years in West Virginia has dropped appreciably in terms of uh, man hours used to produce a ton of coal. And that's because it's harder uh, to, uh, to reach that coal and it's, uh, it's more expensive. And in fact, uh, interestingly enough, uh, uh, coal field employment since 2000 uh, has increased uh, uh, o over time because more miners are needed to, to mine hard to get coal. When we talk about the cost of producing coal though, we tend to just think in economic terms. It costs a dollar a ton or a hundred dollars a ton or whatever it costs to get particular coal out of the ground. But there are other costs and that's really where this dispute comes from. It's not just dollar terms. Uh, strip mining, for example, didn't really exist other than just as a way to pick up coal to put in your furnace or in your fireplace to keep the family warm. Then it became a major economic uh, production of coal method. Now we've gone from just what we would refer to as simple strip mining to mountaintop removal, where in a very real sense we're deconstructing major parts of the state. And that's a cost too, and it has effects that I suspect some don't want to consider or talk about. Well, there are many in politics in the coal industry that don't want to talk about the externalities uh, of coal mining and, and coal combustion. And what do I mean by externalities? I mean, uh, they're the, the cost that uh, are not borne by uh, uh, companies producing coal or burning coal that are uh, externalized to the environment, to coal field communities. Uh, an example of an externalized cost would be black lung disease. Uh, I thought we cured that. Well, uh, the, the goal of 1969 Coal Mine Health and Safety Act was uh, to end uh, black lung. Uh, a scourge of uh, uh, coal field communities. More than uh, uh, 100,000 coal miners died of black lung disease before 1969. And uh, subsequently, uh, since that act was passed, uh, tens of thousands more miners have died from black lung disease. And in fact, the National Institute of Health has documented that the incidence of black lung disease among the nation's coal miners and coal miners in West Virginia, both in underground and surprisingly in surface mines, is increasing. Uh, and, uh, and so uh, uh, the Obama administration uh, was considering uh, uh, ratcheting down the amount of respirable dust uh, allowable in underground coal mines. Respirable, respirable dust refers to the particulates that you can breathe in and that will cause damage to your lungs. Simply coal dust. Cold and dust. with the modern underground mining, there's also rock dust, 
when the long wall machine uh, cuts the coal, it also cuts, cuts rock. And, uh, and so the incidence of uh, uh, black lung and silicosis among West Virginia miners and, and uh, miners in the United States is uh, increasing. And there's a cost, and interestingly enough, uh, there are many externalized costs of coal. Uh, black lung is one, and we can quantify that. Uh, from uh, 1970 until I believe it was 1995, uh, $41 billion was paid in black lung benefits to coal miners who suffered from debilitating black lung disease. Black lung disease can, can squeeze the, the breath out of coal miners and, and ultimately kill them. It's a, it's a nasty, uh, scurrilous disease uh, that is totally preventable. And so $41 billion, I mean, that's a quantifiable cost, but the cost to, to families of uh, coal miners, the suffering of the coal miner themselves, the loss of communities uh, is incalculable. You can't put it in dollar terms. That is a uh, uh, externalized cost of coal mining. And uh, sadly, uh, the so-called war on coal uh, includes criticism of the Obama administration's uh, consideration of lowering the respirable dust standard to protect uh, miners working on ground mines. And just recently, just last week, uh, the Obama administration, after five years of consideration and after 20 years of the National Institute of Health saying you should reduce uh, by half the amount of coal dust uh, that miners breathe and mine. Uh, the Mine Safety Health Administration uh, pr uh, promulgated a final regulation, but it didn't even meet the NIH standard, uh, 1.5 uh, milligrams of coal, coal dust instead of the 1.0 recommended by the National Institute of Health. Yeah, that, that doesn't seem to me to be uh, an administration uh, that doesn't care about coal miners, but I question why the standard wasn't reduced to uh, 1.0 as the National Institute of Health uh, suggested. Uh, so that's an ex example of externalized costs. What are the other externalized costs when uh, underground coal mining and surface mining takes uh, uh, rural West Virginians uh, spring and well water? Uh, acid mine drainage coming from coal mines, uh, air pollution that degrades uh, the health of, of those who are uh, living in the, in the plume of coal-fired power plants. Well, it's not just coal-fired power plants, it's the actual extraction of the coal that causes air pollution, too. Uh, in this, just this past February, uh, West Virginia University released a study that links mountaintop removal to air pollution uh, causing a greater uh, incidence of respiratory and cardiovascular disease, cancer, birth defects, and premature death in the communities around the mountaintop removal sites. So there are things being put into the air, uh, rock dust, coal dust, that the people who aren't mining it are breathing, and they're suffering effects from it too. Well, I think those, those studies are, are not uh, definitive. Uh, I think they suggest a correlation uh, between coal mining and adverse health effects on 
uh, neighboring communities. Uh, uh, but uh, further study is needed, and those who are waging uh, this public relations campaign about the war on coal totally dismiss the possibility that there are health effects uh, on those who live near uh, large-scale uh, surface mines. And, and I think that's wrong. We, we ought to err on the side of safety. We ought to investigate and uh, determine if there are effects and do what we can to minimize them. We're talking about the war on coal. My guest is Patrick C. McGinley, the West Virginia University College of Law, Judge Charles Hayden, Professor of Law. But we can spend money to clean up the air above ground, underground, but there are people in West Virginia, Kentucky, everywhere coal is mined, that are scared to death for their way of life. They're afraid they're going to lose their jobs. They may, in fact, be willing to trade a few years of life or a disease for themselves, even for their children, just so they can continue to make a living. And what can we tell them that makes it okay? Well, we can't say anything that makes it okay. Uh, well, what we can do, or rather what leaders can do in business and industry and politics and, and in communities uh, is look forward to, to determine how to diversify our coal field economies. In uh, Kentucky, just very recently, there was a meeting in Pikeville where 1,700 people showed up to talk about how can we transition to an economy that includes coal uh, but diversifies and brings other jobs. And the diversification of coal field uh, economy should be a priority uh, in Washington, in, in, in state legislatures, in, in the coal fields. Uh, the, the work that coal miners have done and the, and the price paid by coalfield communities for a century ought to be worth something. And uh, notwithstanding the Obama administration's efforts to uh, protect public health and safety through environmental and mine safety regulation, they're not doing anything, nor is members of Congress, nor the, in uh, our state legislatures uh, looking to uh, develop ways to reinvigorate, to bring new industry. Uh, to coalfield communities, uh, and if there is a is a hope, it is that leaders will emerge that will uh, uh, will do that. Uh, but everybody, everyone running for any office, from a county committee person to a governor to a, a congressman to a senator, everyone says, "I'm going to bring more jobs. Uh, I'm going to make it better. I have a plan to to do these things." And nobody does, or at least it never seems to work out. Well, that's my take on it as well. But, uh, but I, mean, I think these are people of goodwill. Yes. They, they want to do that. If they could bring in another Toyota plant or a marble factory or whatever it happened to be, they would do that if they could. And there have been some good successes of that from some of our elected officials. Uh, as an example, Senator Rockefeller had uh, an education founded in uh, Far East uh, cultures, he used that to some advantage to bring investment into West Virginia over the years. Right, and he certainly has done that, and Senator Byrd as well. Uh, let me read something that Senator Rockefeller said about the war in coal on the Senate floor recently. 
He said the reality is that many who run the coal industry today would rather attack false enemies and deny real problems than find solutions. Uh, he called on industry to embrace a lower carbon economy. This is what he said, quote, scare tactics are a cynical waste of time, money, and worst of all, coal miners' hopes. And I, I agree with that. I think it's important, though, to, to make clear that coal will continue to be an important part of West Virginia and Central Appalachia's economy going forward for decades. Uh, uh, there will be some jobs lost uh, around the edges because of environmental and safety regulations. By and large, however, the loss uh, of market share of the coal industry is attributable uh, to the, uh, uh, the boom in shale gas production. Uh, it's cheaper than coal. It, it, uh, coal finds it difficult to compete with uh, the, the massive production uh, uh, of shale gas. Moreover, 56% uh, of coal-fired power plants in this country currently comply with uh, the new standards that the Obama administration uh, seeks to impose uh, with regard to coal combustion. Uh, uh, the, 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 the declining use of coal to pow power um, electric generation uh, is a result of the grandfathering in in 1970 of old uh, technology uh, coal-fired power plants. And so here we are 50 years later and, and th there are uh, uh, power <coughs> companies that use modern air pollution technology that will continue running, they'll continue to accept uh, and, and burn coal. And what we have to do is uh, uh, invest in new technology. Congress had an opportunity, the coal industry had an opportunity in, in 2009-2010. Uh, there was a bill before Congress supported by the Obama administration that would have spent billions of dollars investing in uh, carbon capture and sequestration of, of uh, 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 air pollution emissions from coal-fired power plants and the coal industry failed to support that. That was an opportunity. There's, the opportunity is still there. It's wouldn't, not Wouldn't something like that create an awful lot of jobs and retrofitting well, old plants? Of course it, uh, it will. And, and let me make clear, uh, the, the, our state and central, central Appalachia have experienced a, a boom-bust economy from the beginning of the 20th century. When I came to West Virginia to teach in 1976, just down the road from uh, western Pennsylvania, uh, there were 80,000 coal miners working. And today there are 20, a little over 20,000 coal miners working. And, uh, about the same number uh, as were working when President Bush left office. We've lost tens of thousands of jobs and, and nothing was done to help coal-filled communities. We can deal with uh, with, with some job losses as long as there's a commitment to diversify our economy. Miners will still be employed, uh, coal will still be mined, and coal will be burned in, in, in modern power plants where air pollution is reduced. That's the way to the future. What we need is this, as, as Senator uh, Rockefeller said, is to uh, stop the scare tactics. Senator Byrd, uh, said, we have a choice to anticipate change and adapt to it, 
or resist and be overrun by it. But one thing is clear, Senator Byrd cautioned, the time has arrived for the people of the Mountain State to think long and hard about which course they want to choose. And that, I think that's directed to the leadership, the political and business leadership of this state. Uh, we've got to, to embrace coal, mine it cleanly, burn it cleanly, protect the jobs that will remain here, and diversify our economy. With all due respect to what Senators Rockefeller and Byrd said, do we have the political will to actually do those things? There are, there are elements out there who would say, for example, why should we worry about this? Look at what's happening in India, in China, in Indonesia. They're burning coal and it's dirty. They aren't using modern technology to do it. They're using more and more coal each year. We're actually exporting coal to them because they can't satisfy their own needs. Why should we let them use our coal when we have to give it up ourselves and suffer the disadvantages of loss of employment and that sort of thing? Why, why do we take on the world's problems when the world around us is ignoring those problems? Well, basically, that's a, that's a false choice. Because if you look in the last five years, uh, the use of uh, coal to generate electricity has dropped from 50% uh, to 38% uh, because of competition with shale gas. Of total energy production that, has dropped there. Electric energy production. That's right, and so, so that wasn't any Obama administration regulations. Uh, they didn't go into effect. Uh, the power plants will be able to burn coal uh, using modern air pollution technology. This is just a bogus argument. Some jobs will be lost. They've got to be replaced. We've got to have worker retraining. We've got to bring jobs and industry to the coal fields. There are thousands of acres that have been leveled by mountaintop removal mining in, in the southern West Virginia coal field counties that, that are open there for development. And in fact, when coal companies obtain permits to conduct mountaintop removal, they, they had to propose a post-mining land use required by the law uh, to, to provide industrial, residential, uh, commercial, or agricultural development. And that, uh, that requirement of the law has not been enforced. We, we could have sustainable development if we're going to have mountaintop removal as an exception to the requirement that mine land be returned to its proximal original contour. There ought to be something left there that's sustainable, that pr produces jobs for West Virginians. That hasn't been done. But industry nationwide is stopping. Manufacturing jobs are just going away. What, what are we going to put on these reclaimed sites? It seems like every, every time somebody proposes one of those plans, they say, well, we'll put a shopping center here. Well, that shopping center is going to be one of, in one of the most sparsely populated areas, not only of West Virginia, but of the United States. You can build a shopping center, but you can't put stores in it. The companies have to want to come here. You can say, well, this is a prime manufacturing site, but you have to have a company willing to come in here and manufacture something while manufacturing is declining. I mean, a golf course? How many golf courses There's can good we news. support? There's good news, Stan. Well, let's hear it. <laughs> the, the good news is the manufacturing is coming back to the United States because of the, the shale gas boom. Uh, there's a increase in manufacturing activity. Shale gas, uh, West Virginia is right at the heart, the core uh, of the Marcellus shale boom. And so there's cheap uh, uh, natural gas available for manufacturing and there's space available in West Virginia. And the second thing is we've got to spend on education. 
You know, if you go down and look at the coalfield counties, you see the highest unemployment, some of the the, the worst schools in terms of uh, of uh, physical structures, the worst public service, uh, the. The billion-dollar coal fields. There's a sign that when you drive into to Williamson that says, "Welcome to billion-dollar coal fields." Where's the billions? We've got to we've got to invest that money in West Virginia communities. Well, but that money goes out of state. Well, every every to. West Virginian knows that that money goes out and, of state. And a, and a bright spot there, the legislature uh, this year embraced the concept of a natural resource trust fund to take a, a severance tax of a small percentage uh, of. Uh, uh, production of natural resources and put in a trust fund to uh, uh, accumulate funds and then uh, pay for education, pay for economic diversification. That's smart. That's the way to go. And West Virginia is putting fewer dollars into higher education than virtually anybody else right now. Our trend is to decrease funding of education while states around us and states across the nation are spending more money on it. Professor Patrick McGinley. Pat, thank you for being with us. It's my pleasure, Dan. Thank you also for being with us. On behalf of the Law Works, I'm Dan Ringer. Good evening. If you would like to suggest a topic for a future The Law Works show, or if you're a school teacher and would like to receive a DVD of this show for classroom use, send us an email to thelawworks at comcast.net or visit us on Facebook. On the LawWorks website at thelawworks.org, you'll find a listing of recent The LawWorks programs, additional information about this show's topic, and video of this and recent shows. You can also find The LawWorks programs on YouTube and iTunes. The LawWorks is produced in cooperation with the Office of the West Virginia Attorney General, the West Virginia Bar Foundation, the Mountain State Bar, the Monongahela County Bar Association, and the West Virginia University College of Law. The Law Works is made possible by major grants from the West Virginia Attorney General and from Software Systems Incorporated, a West Virginia company established in 1975 which provides high-end support services, programming, and consulting for county government AS400 mid-range computer systems as well as PC-based systems, and by a grant from the West Virginia Bar Foundation. The West Virginia Bar Foundation the philanthropic organization for West Virginia's legal profession and justice system, promoting public knowledge of the law in West Virginia. Additional support for the law works is provided by the West Virginia Supreme Court of Appeals. From West Virginia Public Broadcasting, 